So if I was to ask y'all, what do you think the hardest thing to preach on would be? I'm sure y'all would come up with a number of uncomfortable uh, topics. But I think one of them that... Okay, there you go. One of them that would be close to the top for everybody is money or tithing. Well, guess what your executive pastor is preaching on today? So why is money such a big deal to us? You know, we, I know we have to have money to pay bills, and, and it's necessary, and, um, you know, those bills tend to add up. But really, if you think about it, from a young age, society told us that we needed more to not be satisfied with what we have. Advertisements, you know, are constantly telling you that you need the latest and greatest product. Um, <clears throat> social media hasn't helped that either because your phone listens to you and then you get all sorts of things that you've been talking about. And so we've got this attitude from society that we've got to keep up with the Joneses. And if we don't have the latest shoes or the latest iPhone or the coolest car, then we're missing out on something in life. But society's wrong because we don't need to keep up with the Joneses. How many of y'all have bought something that you thought, I just have to have this, and if I, and then you buy it, and then a few months later it ends up in your garage or in the back of a closet somewhere gathering dust? I know that there are lots of people who have bought treadmills thinking, I'm going to get in shape, but now that treadmill sits in the corner of a bedroom, and it's covered in dust, and it's also a great place to hang your clothes because those rails really work well for that. But it doesn't bring us the fulfillment that we thought. And so um, we just, the, this, the sermon today is really about our hearts and that joy doesn't come from the things that we have, but it comes from when we serve the Lord and we have a heart for him. So our focus today is gonna be in Mark. And Mark's gospel is one of four gospels if you're not familiar. Um, the Gospels are, are Mark, Matthew, John, and Luke, and they tell the story of Jesus's life on earth, his ministry here. And so we're in Mark today. We'll be in um, chapter 10 and chapter 12, and if you're using the Pew Bible, that's page 1006 and 1009. We're going to contrast two different people that Jesus encounters in his ministry, the rich young ruler and the widow in the temple. And I think it's important to know before we start reading about the rich young ruler that his story is found in three of the four Gospels. So obviously it was important enough for some of the other authors to repeat, because there are other stories that are just found in one Gospel. So we start off in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, and it says, As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the young man looked at him and he said, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have. Give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the same, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now let's compare him to the widow in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, which says, And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury, and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. 
And he called his disciples to him and he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put everything she had, all she had to live on. So we have the rich young ruler and you, you can picture him, he was confident, he was well-dressed, probably well thought of in the community because he had money. And he walks boldly up to Jesus and he asks, how do I, how do I get eternal life? Well, Jesus, you know, starts telling him a few of the commandments and he's like, oh, well, I've, I've done that. <clears throat> but Jesus knows this man and so he says, he calls him on it and he says, go and sell all that you own and give it to the poor and then come follow me. And the scripture says that he went away sad because he had great possessions. Now the widow, on the other hand, you can picture her in the temple. She didn't have a lot of money, so she probably had ragged clothes. She probably wasn't looked upon. She probably really wasn't even noticed in the temple because of her social standing. The, the, the influential people probably just ignored her as she went about her business. But she gave, and even though she only gave a little, it was a lot to her. She gave everything she had. So we're looking at two different people that Jesus highlighted for, diff for very different reasons. So as we dig into the differences, let's look at their hearts. Last month, um, Nathan's been preaching out of First Peter, and he preached on submission for about four weeks in a row. And submission is a hard thing. But Nathan talked about when you submit, or when you can't submit, that it's a heart issue. And he also talked about that we submit to the government by paying taxes. Well, when we tithe, it's a form of submission or obedience to God. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel is talking to Saul, and he says, does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than to sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. And Samuel is telling King Saul that partial disobedience or partial obedience is disobedience and that God wants our full obedience. He'd rather have our obedience than our sacrifice. But let me tell you, the widow did both. She both sacrificed and obeyed because she gave all that she had, because her heart was right. Now the rich young ruler, he struggled with both because of his heart, because his money and possessions were an idol to him. And he put them before God. An idol can be anything that we put before God. In Matthew um, 6, 19 through 21 and verse 24, Jesus tells us, Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, or uh, thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's an important one. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, since he will either hate one and love the other, or who will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, assuming that Matthew's timeline matches up with Mark's, Jesus is teaching this in chapter 6 of Matthew, and he doesn't get to the rich young ruler until chapter 19. So this was way before the rich young ruler came around in the timeline. Jesus talked about this a lot in his ministry. Um, but
but he knew with this young man that it would be that his love of money and possessions would be more than he loved God. And so he knew this would be a stumbling issue. He offered him a solution, but the young man couldn't get past it. His heart was with his possessions. That's where his treasure was. And if you think about it, it's really important to notice in that story that Jesus noticed that. He said, he said that he loved him. He looked at him, he loved him before he told him that he needed to go sell all his stuff. Because Jesus knew where his heart was. Because Jesus' heart is for us. We're in his heart. And he knew that this young man was going to struggle with that. <clears throat> now let's look at who they put their trust in. Obviously, the widow trusted God. She gave everything she had, while the rich folks in the temple, not unlike the rich young ruler, gave out of their abundance. It's obedience, but it's also faith. Knowing that God will take care of us or provide for us is trusting him. We've not seen God physically, but we, we know about him from the Bible. And we know about him from our experiences. We've heard or have testimonies about how God's provided in times of need. One of the stories in the Bible that I think speaks the most about provision is the story of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis. And it gives us a great testimony of provision. And it's where we get the name for God, Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. The rich young ruler wanted eternal life, but he didn't trust God enough to follow through with it. But we trust God because he's always trustworthy. And we've seen him be trustworthy from the time of Genesis all the way to today. So let's talk a little bit about tithing. I'm going to shift gears here a little bit. Tithing goes all the way back to Genesis when Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils of war to the priest of God, Melchizedek. And the Hebrew word that we, that we use for a tithe means a tenth. Later, when God gave the law to Moses, the Israelites were supposed to give a tenth of the first fruits of the harvest, or the best of the best. And they were supposed to present these gifts to the Levites. And the Levites were the tribe of Israel that served God. They were busy serving God, so they didn't have time to um, raise crops or to uh, raise sheep. So they didn't have things to live on. So the tithe was to take care of the Levites. And the Bible tells us that tithing is a way to show that we trust God with our finances and our lives. Now, being a numbers guy, I like statistics, so I'm going to share a couple statistics with y'all. 47%, according to Gallup, of Americans attend religious services. Now, that could be non-Christian or Christian. Out of those folks, only 10 to 25% of people are estimated to tithe to their local church. So that means that one out of every four on the, on the good end give 10% to their church. It could be as low as one out of 10 um, so a lot of people ask, well, does God need our money? Nope. The Bible says God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He created everything. It's all his. Everything that we have comes from him. But he's asking us to give back a little bit and bring it into the storehouse. So God doesn't need our money. But I'll tell you, the church has operating costs. Um, we have salaries, utilities, programs. I know y'all wouldn't want to come to church here in August if we didn't have air conditioning. I know the choir would melt, so, um, and I, we, nobody wants that. Um, 
this last week we've replaced two air conditioner units, one in here and one in the fellowship hall. And you know what? We've got 13 total. Those two air conditioning units that we replaced cost just under $28,000 to replace. We budget for one every year, but guess what? The AC units don't always follow our budget. Hopefully we don't lose another one this year, but we wanna, we wanna stay cool when we worship God. So it's important. But one of the other things I'll tell you about our budget that I love is that we give 10% to charities here. We, when you donate, we donate back to the community. We give money to Beam, to Mission House, to First Coast Women's Services, to FCA, to, to just to name a few. And by giving to those entities, it really allows us to have a greater impact with our giving dollars in the community. But one of the other things that I love is last year with the Long Range Planning Committee, we implemented um, a goal to, to increase that giving, missions giving, by 1% over the next five years to give to foreign missions so that not only are we having a local impact, but we'll be having a global impact as well, which I think is awesome. But that's where your money that you give to the church, that's where it goes to. So as I talked about earlier, God desires our obedience. If you don't tithe, do you think God's mad at you? No, he's not. He loves us despite what we do because his heart is for us. He loves us despite our sin and our partial obedience. Now the Israelites, they had the law, but that didn't keep them from disobeying. And Malachi was an Old Testament prophet that lived about 500 years before Jesus, or about 2,500 years ago. He gave the Israelites this warning from God in Malachi 3, 7 through 10. Since the days of your fathers, you have turned from my statutes. You have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. Yet you ask, how can we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. You are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Now Malachi, through God, said they were cursed because they weren't tithing, as instructed. He also accused them of robbing God by not tithing. God was telling the Israelites through Malachi that God would bless their finances if they tithed. He wanted their full obedience. This is the only place in the Bible where God says, test me in this. And isn't that awesome? Because testing is trusting. But we need to be careful when we read this because we shouldn't give because we want the blessing. We should give because we want to obey. But tithing, giving back that 10% allows God to bless, to not curse the other 90% that we receive from him. That's what Malachi was telling the Israelites. And I think it's also a message for us today. Now, I've talked to a lot of people over my 26 years of banking and my years in ministry, and they tell me, a lot of people say, well, I don't have enough money to make pay all the bills. I can't afford to tithe. Well, maybe you need help with budgeting and figuring out how to make ends meet, and, and that help is available. But can I tell you that it's so much easier when God is blessing the other 90%? It, thank you. <clears throat> 
ask your pastors and elders about their tithing testimonies. We, you know, most people have them. And they're, it's incredible when God provides at the last minute for a need that pops up and you, you're not sure where it's going to come from, but he provides. Ask them about it because it's important. Our testimonies are, are, share our faith. At my previous church, Pastor Mark, who I served under, he preached on this section in Malachi. And he actually ended his sermon with this challenge. He said, hey, if you don't, if you don't tithe, start giving. And if you only give a small percentage, less than 10%, start giving more. And at the end of six months, if you're not in a better place financially, you can come back to the church and we'll refund your tithe for six months. So I wasn't, I wasn't on staff there at that time. I was just an elder. So we didn't really do a very good job of keeping track of the people that started giving more. But we had six families after that sermon that started giving, that tested God, that trusted him enough to step out. And I'll tell you that out of those six families, we only had one family come back and ask for their money back. But that's not the end of the testimony because within a year, that family realized after they got that money back that they were really in a better place financially. And so within a year, they were giving 10% and became regular tithers. So God provides. Now, let's see, where am I after? I always get lost after that story. So, um, Okay, many people say that tithing is an Old Testament concept. Jesus doesn't mention tithing, which is true. He doesn't say anything about giving a tenth. But did you know that Jesus only mentions six of the ten commandments? We read about it earlier with the rich young ruler. So are the other four ten commandments, are they Old Testament concepts that are outdated and out of place? I don't think so. When you really look at Jesus' teaching about giving, he tells us that we're supposed to take care of the poor, the widows, and the orphans. His standard is probably more than a tenth if we really wanted to argue about it. <laughs> Do you think that if Jesus would have said to the rich young ruler, hey, you only need to sell 10% of your possessions, give it to the poor, and come follow me? Do you think he would have obeyed that? I think he would have. I think he would have been overjoyed to be able to do that. But Jesus knew his heart, and he knew that that wasn't going to be enough for him. Now, I've also heard a lot of people say, do I tithe on gross or my net income? And let me tell you, I remember many years ago, probably 28 years ago, when Susan and I had that discussion with a couple friend of ours from church. But I've also heard, do I tithe with my time? Um, I tithe, but I only give the church so much because the rest goes to other needy charities. I only give when the church has special needs. And I could go on and on, but you guys get the idea. Um, I need to make it clear that, you know, Jesus, when he was talking to the rich young ruler, he wasn't condemning the rich young ruler for having money and stuff. Um, my former pastor, I'll mention him again, Mark, he, he always used to say that it's okay to have money and possessions, but it's not okay when, those money and when the money and possessions have you. And that's what happened to the rich young ruler. His possessions and his money had him. They were an idol, and he couldn't put them behind God. Now, I know that tithing is a hard sermon to preach on, and it's not fun to listen to. But let me tell you that my former pastor, Mark, used to also say that the, the enemy condemns, but the Holy Spirit convicts. 
So if you're feeling like your toes have been stepped on right now, it's probably not the enemy. It's probably the Holy Spirit just trying to convict you. And it's great because we have hope because we know who wins in the end. So what kind of pastor would I be if I didn't tell you the truth about hard things? I would hope that you as a congregation would want your, your, your pastors to bring up hard conversations because that's what the Bible is about, is about looking at your heart and, and finding the things that you don't put your trust in in God. God's asking you to bring your tithe into the church. He wants your full obedience, your trust in your heart. Maybe some of the questions we need to ask are, where are our hearts? Do we trust God? Are we trying to serve two masters? Do we give from our abundance or from our obedience? Do our finances cause us anxiety? Do we give joyfully? These are all hard questions, but it's something that you should think about. And if they do cause you heartache or anxiety, then ask God why that is. So we should examine our hearts. We should look at who we put our trust in. If you're a tither, that is amazing. Thank you. Is God calling you to be more generous? If you don't tithe, I challenge you to test God with more, to test him. This is the, the, the part where he says, test me in this. If you give 2%, try giving 5% or 10%. If you don't give at all, I challenge you to start today. It doesn't have to be 10%. As Malachi said, test me in this way and see if the Lord won't bless you. Everything that God asks us to do is always for his good, for our good and his glory, sorry. And I'll tell you, while tithing is not a hard thing for me, it's something that I have overcome a while back. Preaching about tithing always makes God, or has God examine my heart and makes me think about the areas of my heart that I have a hard time letting go of. And so this sermon is as much for me as it is for you, even though tithing is not my problem. I've got other heart issues that I need to work out with God, so I'm convicted as well. But let me tell you, right after the story of the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus tells the disciples that with with everything, in everything, with man it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Amen?